We're going to continue today in our message series. We've called the Gospel of Freedom. We're in the book of Galatians. Have been for, oh, about three months or more, four months. And uh, we are not done yet. And it's uh, good stuff here. And so we're finishing chapter four today. So if you've got a Bible with you, I invite you to find Galatians chapter four. We're deep into the New Testament. Um, as you as you look for that, get through Romans, Corinthians, Corinthians, and then you'll be in Galatians. And we're calling this today, Who's Your Mama? Who's Your Mama? All right, and I'm going to go ahead and read to you from Galatians chapter 4, beginning at verse 21. And this is our pattern here, uh, at least when we're indoors, to stand for the reading of God's Word. Thank you. I read from the New Living Translation. He says, Paul writes this. He says, tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you, do you know what the law actually says? The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise, but the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. Uh, Don't worry, I'm going to explain all this to you in a moment, okay? Let me keep reading here. Verse 24. These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai where people received the law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She's the free woman. Shout out to all you Sarahs out there. All right. And she is our mother. As Isaiah said, rejoice, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. Break into a joyful shout. You who have never been in labor for the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. And you, verse 28, you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. But what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. So, dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman in verse 1 of chapter 5. So Christ has truly set us free. Now, make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. We thank the Lord for his word. Let's be seated together. A couple comments uh, to kind of set the stage here. First of all, I want to say something about slavery. Uh you know, one of the current um, challenges in our culture and one of the important, I think, causes that many Christians are working on is against human trafficking, slavery, modern day slavery continues to be a massive global problem. You're going to see a lot of slavery, accounts of slavery in the Bible. And you might think, wow, the Bible's in favor of slavery. No, the Bible never condones slavery. But it was a common practice at the time. It's what happened. But I want you to understand that aboli- the, the kind of the abolition movement has always been driven, first and foremost, pr- predominantly by believers. Christians have always been the ones to spearhead the abolition movement. You think about William Wilberforce out of the UK, who spent his his political career in, in, in seeking the end of the slave trade, died just before that finally passed through the House of Parliament over there. You think about, you know... Um, 
you know, when we got to the, the Civil War, that was really a product of the first Great Awakening in America, uh, uh, like early 1700s, the second Great Awakening, um, early 1800s, maybe middle 1700s and, and early 1800s, as there was this, these great moves of God as people came to Christ in massive waves, huge revivals. We call them the Great Awakenings. And those things honestly became the, 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 you know, there was the seeds that germinated into freedom as as believers say, wait a second, uh, we're talking about all this freedom that we have in Christ, but we're we're seeing people enslaved, physically enslaved. So it was really Christians who who sponsored, who promoted, or or led uh, the movements against slavery. You need to understand that that's informed by the by the by the gospel. And so that's an important, I think, distinction that we need to know. Now I want to talk about this comparison, this metaphor that that Paul is bringing out with these two women. He talks about Hagar and Sarah, the the slave woman and the free woman. Um, you can really kind of get the nugget of this in Genesis chapter 21, but just to kind of set the stage again for you, uh, Abraham had received a promise from God. You're going to be the father of many. You're going to be the father of a nation. You're going to have countless numbers of children, but he's getting older and older and older and older and his wife's just getting, you know, catching up, um, you know, behind him. I, I don't know a nice way to say that, but, um, and, and, and so there comes a point where like, man, this just isn't happening. We, you know, the God's just not coming through. Maybe we were supposed to kind of resolve this somehow. And Sarah says, listen, uh, you're going to have a child. And if it's not going to be me, you're going to use my, my servant, my slave, Hagar. And so, you know, Abraham, apparently, like too many guys, is perfectly willing to see that happen. And uh, he says, okay, we'll try that. And, and sure enough, Hagar gets pregnant and, and, gives birth to Ishmael. He's like, hey, I got my, I got my son that, that God promised. And God says, no, that's not how we were doing this, Abraham. That's, you're not trusting me. You're looking for a human solution to God's promise. And eventually, sure enough, um, Sarah gets pregnant, gives birth to Isaac. And, and there's this, obviously, a great tension between the two. Hagar's very smug, saying, well, I have the firstborn of Abraham. And, uh, and so that makes me a little bit better. And she's, uh, a problem in the household. And Sarah eventually says to Abraham, this ain't working out. This woman's gotta go and her kid. And, and expels them, uh, from the house. And, and, you know, you're just like, wow, this is crazy. What's happening here? And, you know, God shows his faithfulness even to Hagar and prom- brings promises to her as well. But that decision of Abraham created, you know, Thousands of years of problems because he didn't trust God. What Paul's doing now, he's just taking that metaphor and he, Paul's the only one to do that in the scripture. And some, some, you know, scholars and commentators are like uncomfortable. They feel like, I don't know if this is really appropriate for Paul to do this, but let me just tell you, he's Paul and they're not. He can do whatever he feels led by the Holy Spirit to do. And he, he, he's applying this saying, listen, you, these represent the two covenants, the old covenant of law given at Mount Sinai to the Hebrew people as they left Egypt by Moses. Moses goes up in the mountain. Remember this comes down, it's got the tablets and, and brings the law to, to God's people and the new covenant that is under Jesus, where Jesus says, you know, I didn't come to uh, abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, he brings it to completion by living that sinless, perfect life. And in fact, redefines the law that it's not just that check boxes, but it's actually what's going on in your heart. 
and and Jesus by his by his blood shed on the cross actually seals a new covenant. There's always has to be a shedding of blood when there's a when there's a covenant that's made. All right. So that's what that's the background. That's the kind of foundation of what our conversation is about today. Okay, does that make sense? Questions? I haven't even started in my notes yet. We're inside and it's not going to rain in here, so. All right. All right. Hang on. Let's go into this. All right. I think I've shared a few times in this series that when we talk about law versus grace, uh, that, that, you know, when I refer to law, I'm not just referring to the regulations that God gave to the Hebrew people through Moses, although that is specifically what Paul is referring to. So technically that is the limit. But I would say in our context today, law can be anything that we count on to make us or to kind of put on someone else to make them righteous with God, made right in right standing with God. I want to give you an example. Kind of a contemporary example of, of righteousness. I grew up in a culture that got on board with recycling very early on. From my, from my early days, um, you, you know, although no one could recycle like, like someone like my mom. And some of you were there too. There was a drawer for all the old bread bags, right? There was a cupboard for all the cottage cheese containers. Don't talk to me about recycling. My mom had it going on long before we knew there was anything called the Green New Deal. So anyway, um, just a shout out to those who actually knew how to do that. But I, I, you know, so even to this day, because I was kind of raised in that culture, I cringe when I see cardboard or, or, a, or, or plastic in the, in the trash can. It, it does something inside of me. I was so raised on that, like, oh, you can't really do that. And, um, and I know, um, you know, I've been told it all goes in the same ocean, but um, it, it, it bugs me, and I consider it good earth stewardship to use the blue bin whenever possible. I just think that's just a responsible uh, thing to do. But here's where it crosses the line. In a strong recycling culture, you're a good person if you recycle. But if you don't, you're a bad person. You're a sinner, an evil person. And so there's kind of a level of righteousness, social righteousness, that you achieve by putting your soda can in the proper respect, re- receptacle and you're condemned if you don't. You, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. And, and you know, this applies to virtually every social and moral cause. For example, if you rescue a puppy, you're a good person. you got a little halo on your head. But if you buy one from a breeder, mm, you're... Not as good, right? I mean, that's what the culture tells you. Isn't that the case? I, I'm, I'm, you know, the breeders are doing just fine. So I, I think, I think you're okay with that. I'm, I have no issue with that. But, but that's kind of what the culture will tell you. It's ridiculous. I know. But, but, uh, you know, there's, there's a big difference between caring for important causes and being part of important causes versus allowing those causes to be the means of your righteousness or your salvation or that's what qualifies you as a good person there's a difference and we need to understand that and and so in the case of the jews their law given by god which also made provision for sin so in a sense you could say their religious uh practice did affect their works did affect righteousness for them but then along comes jesus 
And here comes Jesus. And Jesus uh, kept the law perfectly and therefore fulfilled the law on our behalf. And as I said, redefined it in the process. So as, as we read in chapter 5, verse 1, Christ has truly set us free. Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. So Paul's concern for the Galatians was that here we have these influential Jewish teachers coming to town and they were leading these new Jewish, uh, these new, uh, sorry, Gentile Christians to prove their worth to God by following the old Jewish laws. Yeah, yeah, you're saved by faith in Christ, but you really actually have to add all these other things as well. And so they were not denying the essential nature of faith, but they were demanding that the law would shape their faith in Christ or maybe qualify their faith in Christ. But you need to know that faith trumps the demands of the law. It always does. Faith trumps the demands of the law. In other words, faith leads the way. Faith leads the way. Faith has to lead you. Okay, let me... Let's, let's return to our example of our social causes, right? Or all the things that you feel obligated to support. Whether it's recycling or whether it's adopting puppies, right? Or any other cause. My question is, do the issues shape your faith? Or does your faith shape your approach to the issues? The causes. Because it needs to be the latter. You have to start from your rootedness in Christ and your faith and your understanding of what it means to be a Jesus follower and let that shape how you respond to the things that are going on around you in the culture. Well, how will I know if my faith is leading me, leading the way? It's so hard to, to make sense of all of this. The, here's how you'll know. The outcome will be greater freedom in Christ, less slavery to rules and expectations, right? And by contrast, listen, if you have to stretch scripture to to make it fit your cause or make it fit your conviction, right? Then you're living under culture's laws, which are shaping your faith. So you 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 have to start in scripture. Now, I want you to be compassionate to every person you meet or don't meet. I want you to be generous in your your care for people of different convictions, different Beliefs, different orientations, different ethnicities, right? We love, but we, we, we don't abandon and we always start in God's truth and scripture. Let me give you another example. If, um, if you travel to Israel with me next March, and I would love to take you all, um, but really it would be great. Every believer, every Christian, I think, needs to get to the Holy Land at least once. Uh, it will take these black and white pages and turn them to color. Uh, to walk where Jesus walks. To, 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 to sail where the disciples sailed. To worship where Elijah worshipped. It, it's, it's just something that I would just encourage you to pursue that. Make that a priority. We're going next March. Um, Anyway, if you were to travel with me to Israel next March, um, you're going to, on the street, you're going to see Orthodox Jews. And they all look the same. They've got the right hat. they got the right suit. they got the tassels coming out of the corners. They, they've, I mean, they've just got it dialed in with the right, the guys have got the right beard. You know, maybe a little, what they call phylactery, a little box on their wrist or their forehead to, to remind them of the, 
of the laws, God's 600 plus regulations and, and rules. And, and I, I wonder about this. Does, is that really what God had in mind for us when he invited us to follow him, to trust in him? Because those things cannot and will not lead them into a personal relationship with God because it, it becomes a form of slavery. God wants us to know him personally. And we can only accomplish that through Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote this to the Colossians. He said, you've died with Christ. And he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep following the rules of the world such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Isn't that amazing? We create all these guidelines and and structures for us and disciplines, but he's saying that's not going to bring your heart to Jesus. You've been already set free by your faith in Christ. And so, in other words, you can make all the rules you want to reform society or to reform yourself but listen they won't work rules to reform don't don't work you you cannot transform anything by external pressure you cannot it has to be an internal work of god's grace through faith so when you're considering for example a big decision you got a choice to make uh you're wondering how to respond to a particular challenge in your life always ask yourself this where Does my faith in Jesus lead me to? Or to where does my faith in Christ lead me in this decision? Always start in faith. Faith has to lead the way. Don't change your faith to fit the situation. Bring your faith. Let the Holy Spirit direct your words, direct your actions. But make sure that faith takes the lead in all these things. Paul then turns to this metaphor of these two women. Sarah, who represents the covenant of grace. Okay, we're talking about Sarah... And Hagar, everyone who knew the Hebrew story, right, knew that Abraham's relationship with Hagar produced nothing but trouble down the road. They, they knew that. Why? Because he tried to accomplish God's promise by human effort. Now, why did that happen? Why did Abraham go there? Abraham was disappointed. He was frustrated with God. He was impatient with God's kind of slow or lack of fulfillment of the promise. And so he sought to fix it, as many of us do. I mean, how often have I done that or you done that, where we, where we, you know, you were just trying to make something happen that, you know, this answer should have happened by now. This, this answer to prayer or this person should have come to Christ by now or whatever. And we try to manipulate something. And it made perfect sense to Abraham, but he was short-circuiting a process that God was working on. You see, I really think that that God had to wait until Sarah, until it was absolutely clear that Sarah had, had no chance of pregnancy. She had to be completely out of that before God could cause her to be with child. And the fulfillment of the promise, right? God's promise that Abraham would be the father of a nation had to be an obvious miracle. It had to be miraculous for us to know that it was God and, and so that Abraham would not take credit for it. The same applies to us today. You think about Ephesians 2, 8 that says, you know, God saved you by his grace when you believed. 
and you can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Or another translation would say, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, lest anyone should boast. And God, we, we have to get to that recognition of like, I can only be saved by God's grace. Paul goes so far as to say that Sarah, who represents freedom in Christ by faith, is our mother, and those who trust in human effort are children of Hagar, the slave. And so I'm going to ask you the question of the, the title of the message. Who's your mama? Who's your mama? Are you a child of Hagar or a child of Sarah? Are you a child of the law, of legalism, uh, of living by the letter of the law? Or are you a child of freedom, right? Trusting in Christ for salvation and progressing toward Holiness, not to become righteous, but because God, by, through Jesus, has already made you righteous. Like that song we sang, I am anointed, I am called, I am chosen. Right? God's, Jesus has already made you righteous by your faith in Him. So, for example, I hear about Christians who live in fear and doubt and worry about their salvation. They're constantly wondering, you know, am I really saved? Have I done enough for God? Have I, you know, will God be accepting me? Am I good enough for God? And I, you know, I, I don't know if we do that out of pride or maybe ignorance, but I think often we just simply do it out of fear. We're just afraid that God's not going to come through, that we, He can't really be trusted and fear that, you know, you know, I must have to add something and not understanding it's God's free gift of grace. And if that's you, I just say, you've got to make a decision to trust the promise that says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But I still sin. Yeah, welcome to the club. Right? It keeps coming back to this. Am I moving toward or away from greater trust in Jesus Christ for my salvation? Like, in terms of progress, am I, am I moving in this direction toward Jesus or am I moving away? Not, remember we talked about this last week, Philippians 1 6, 1 6 says, He who, who, he who began the good work and you will be faithful to bring it to completion on the day. That we see him. You're not going to be finished until you get all the way there. Greater faith leads to greater relationship. The more I trust Jesus, the closer I get to him. The less the things of this world and the the things around me concern me. Should you wear a, a, a face covering today when you're closely interacting with people? Yes, that's a good idea. But your faith's not in your mask. Your faith's in the Lord. You understand that? I, I doesn't, it's not either or. And when I properly understand his friendship with me, I am less and less inclined to take his sacrifice for me on the cross for granted, to take it lightly. The closer I get to Jesus, the more I realize, oh, Jesus, you, you went through so much so that I could be saved. So that motivates me to, to live a life that honors God. It motivates me to take sin seriously. To repent when I when I stumble and fall. And to bring it back to Him. I'm motivated to, to believe that the Bible is reliable. That I believe what it says. I'm motivated to share the good news. I'm motivated to generosity. To serving others. All those things happen out of your relationship with Jesus. Not out of keeping the law. And Paul adds this one more warning for us. He says there's there's persecution to be had. Especially from those 
who are slaves to legalism. I, I, I'll put it this way. Slaves don't understand freedom. Slaves don't understand freedom. Uh, someone told a crazy story to me this week about a flea circus. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. That, that if you put fleas under a, under a jar and over time they jump and they hit their head on the glass, eventually they will never, you take the jar away and they'll never leave because they, they don't realize they have freedom because they're accustomed. To, I, it was a weird story. I don't know if it's true, but it's probably printed in one of those sermon illustration books. But anyway, um, look, slaves don't understand freedom because they're enslaved. Just as Ishmael, the first son, tormented Isaac, the second son, Paul's warning us that those who are bound to the law persecute those who are living in freedom, the freedom of grace, right? Every fresh move of God, listen, listen, every fresh move of God will suffer persecution from from the religious majority. Whatever that religious majority is, could be Christian, could be Hindu, could be Muslim, could be communist could be whatever it is anytime there's a fresh move of god whatever the majority belief is will persecute the believers those who don't know christ personally will end up despising the freedom of those who do know jesus those bound up in religion or controlling regimes and you know include political regimes right cannot handle those who live in freedom they don't understand it. They don't grasp it because they're living in slavery. They're living in slavery to sin and to everything else. They don't get freedom. So the question is, who's your, who's your mama? I mean, is it the law or, or is it the gospel of freedom by faith in Christ? Are you living in freedom? Are you letting faith lead the way for you? I'm going to invite the worship team to set up for a closing song for us, but um, you know, I, I'm late to uh, American history and culture. I was not raised uh, on any American history. And so uh, the little, little bits of it I'm starting to get I, really fascinate me and interest me. And I have, I lo- I'm an American. I love being an American. And I love learning about America. It's, it's really true. I know it sounds cheesy to say that, but, but I, I really do. I'm grateful uh, to be in this country. But um, one of the founding fathers, Patrick Henry, is known for his speech to the Second Virginia Convention in 1775, a month before the start of the, of the Revolutionary War. And in that, he included this line, and I'm sure you've probably all heard it in school, but I didn't get to hear this in school, so I'm going to read it to you, right? He, he's making this impassioned speech about why they need to stand up to the, to the, to the king and everything else. And he says, he said this, is life so dear or peace so sweet? As to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take. But as for me, do you know this line? Give me liberty or give me death. Now listen, I understand that was a political, emotionally charged speech. I understand that that context of a battle cry. But listen, that's also a spiritual battle cry for ourselves and for others. For for spiritual liberty. I love how, Christy, when you lead us in worship, you say, you can stand or sit, whatever gives you the most freedom in worship. That's, that's the goal that we're, we're wanting to lead you toward. We must not allow ourselves or be okay with others to do this, but to accept a yoke of slavery to the law or a yoke of sin or a yoke of cultural expectations. But we want to live in the freedom of a life 
life-giving, spirit-directed relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what we want to get to. Living in that flow of being directed by the Spirit. Yep, we make mistakes, but we're making progress. The one who trusts in Christ is liberated from fear, from judgment, from condemnation. And then they want to pass that on to others. Let faith lead the way. Let faith lead the way. Let Make grace your mama every day. Grasp, take hold of the freedom that Jesus achieved for you. And as Paul says, don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Jesus made you free. Live in that freedom. And and you're saying, I, what does that mean in my life? You're, I just would challenge you to say, Jesus, I want you to teach me what this is. Because Jesus can teach you what that is going to be in your context. But I'm going to pray for you right now, and then we'll go into this closing song. My prayer is that you would really know what it means to live not with the burden, but with the blessing and freedom. God, we are grateful for these words that are recorded for us in your word. We believe them. We trust in you. Lord, you know everything about us. You know our flaws, our weaknesses. You know our preferences. You know the things that drive us crazy. You know where we're right. You know where we're wrong. You know what we overemphasize and what we underemphasize. You know everything, Jesus. You know everything. And knowing everything, Jesus, you went to the cross for us and for my sin. Past, present, future. You 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 went to the cross for all of that. And so, Jesus, we just want to say afresh, we just bring our very selves to you today. And Lord, where we've trusted in something else to make us good with you, whether it's how we dress, how we give, how we sing, how we, I don't know, any of those things. God, we just forgive us and just release us from that. And Lord, let us live in that kind of the scary place of just trusting you moment by moment and letting you direct us. Jesus, I pray for those that are facing some insurmountable challenges, even this week, that we would understand what freedom in Christ means in those places. The freedom to love the people around us, regardless of how they're living or what they're doing. The freedom to to trust you no matter what our body is going through. The freedom to trust you no matter what condition our marriage is in today. Whatever those things are, God, we just say we want to trust you first. We want to let faith lead the way. We want to live under your grace and your freedom. And friend, if you've never given your life to Christ, I'm just going to give you that opportunity right now. You're trying hard to be a good person and just fit in and go along with everything. But if you're honest, you realize I'm just exhausted. I can't do this. I can't keep up. And I want you to know, Jesus says, you don't have to. You can trust me. We, we say it a simple way. A is to, to admit I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. B is to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died for your sin and he rose again. And C is just to commit your life to follow him as the Lord and leader of your life. 
I'm just going to give you that. If that's you today, you're saying, I want to, I want to make that decision today, give my life to Jesus. I'm going to just invite you to raise your hand, just look up at me, and I would love to pray with you after the service today. If you're doing that as you're watching this on video, shoot me a text, call me at the office. Let's talk about it. Let's pray it through for you. Jesus wants you free. He wants you free. God, we thank you for this good word today. We bless you in your name. Amen.